Am I good? There you go. Go ahead and uh, take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. For those of you that that probably haven't been with us for a while or if it's your first time coming in, we are in the middle of a of a mini-series here at Red Cross. We like to, or at least I do, like to go slowly through books of the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Um, but we're taking a little bit of a break over the fall just for, we, we, we decided six weeks, um, to talk about the five solas. Uh, and so for those of you that are not aware of what the five solas are, sola is uh, really just a Latin phrase that Latin phrase that means only, and so this is coming out of the Protestant Reformation. Now, we are we are Baptist here at Red Cross, and we should not be ashamed of that. Um, we will not take Baptist off of our church sign. Um, we will not take it out of our name. We are Baptist. That's the denomination that we are. There are distinctions or distinctives maybe in Baptist denomination um, that make us different, distinct than other denominations. But when we look at Baptists, Presbyterians, Methodists, Lutherans, they make up what is known as Protestants. Okay, Protestants are what comes out of the Protestant Reformation. What happened in 1517, you see what happened was, is Martin Luther decides that he's going to nail 95 theses to the door of Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany. Now what he's doing is is he's trying to have a conversation with the church. Martin Luther has come to the realization that the church, the Roman Catholic Church, is overstepping their bounds when it comes especially to the Bible, sola scriptura, the, the two basic solas that the Protestant Reformation was birthed out of was they returned to sola scriptura, scripture alone, and sola fide, faith alone. The Roman Catholic Church was teaching that in order for you to be saved, you have to have faith plus works. You have to do these things in order to be forgiven you have to come and pay for indulgences, for these, these, these ways to get out of uh, time off of purgatory, which we as Baptists do not believe. We don't believe in a purgatory. And so Martin Luther, who also saw that the Roman Catholic Church was trying to say that our church governing authorities, the Pope, the magistrates, all these other people, and church tradition are on the same level in authority as the Bible. So I don't know if you saw recently, I believe, if I'm saying this right, the Pope came out a couple weeks ago, two, three weeks ago, affirming same-sex marriage. Am I correct in saying that? Okay, good. I thought I saw that right. And basically, when the Pope does that, he is saying that the church... Because he is, the, he is the authoritative figure, the church can, be, can believe that, even if Scripture says differently. 
So we see in 1517, October 31st, which is Reformation Day, 1517, Martin Luther has a problem. And he nails these 95 theses to the, do- to the door of Castle Church because he wants to have a conversation. Martin Luther, his intention is to strengthen the Roman Catholic Church, but the Roman Catholic Church was not going to have it. And so in so doing, uh, Martin Luther sparked a reformation. So this is where we get the five solas from. And the five solas, we're on sola four. Five solas are sola fide or sola gratia is what, what we did first. Grace alone. We are justified by grace alone, not by God's grace and our works. We are justified. We are saved by grace alone. Ephesians 2. For you have been saved by grace. Sola fide is the second sola. We are saved by faith or through faith alone. Ephesians 2. You are saved by grace through faith. The third one, sola, solus Christus, in Christ alone. Our salvation is only found in him, not in anything we can do, not in our works, not in our accomplishments, not in, not, not in obedience to the law, but in everything Christ has done in Christ alone. Today we're looking at sola scriptura, which is really where we get all of the, the rest of the solas from. Sola Scripture is Scripture alone. Our authority, our sole authority is in the Word of God, not in anything else. And next Sunday will be the fifth and final sola in, uh, God, to the glory of God alone. Um, sola, sola, sola del Gloria. My coffee finally hit me there. Sola del Gloria, <laughs> to the glory of God alone. And then the Sunday after, since we got five Sundays in November, we're like, hey, well, let's tack on another sermon. So the Sunday after, we're going to look at why the Reformation matters today. And we're going to actually look at that a little bit today. We're going to look at why the Reformation, why that still matters today. Why our history of being Baptist still matters today. And we're going to see some of that as we see this text and this message. So today I'm coming from 2 Timothy 3. If you're there, say word. If you're not there, say hold up. If you didn't bring your Bible, I'm not going to throw any shame on you. We have Bibles available if you don't have one, but you're going to see from today's message that we come out of scripture. I'm not going to be Joel Osteen up here because he lies, but (laughs) we, we come from scripture. Sunday mornings, we will teach from the text. I want you to look at it. I'm going to tell you which verse to look at. And we're going to see what the text means for us. And this is part of Sola Scriptura. So 2 Timothy 3 verse 14, if you'll stand with me and honor the reading of God's word. Because Sola Scriptura, we stand in the honor of the reading of God's word. Because we believe that God's word is God's message, God speaking to us. So 2 Timothy 3 verse 14 says this. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. 
All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Chapter 4, verse 1. Now, we're, this is okay in us doing this because when Paul wrote this, he didn't write this in chapters and verses. This was a whole letter. This follows right after it. I charge you, Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Why? For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Let's stop there. Let's pray. Father God, we are so thankful for your word. The word that we stand on. The word that we are to hold fast to. The word that we are to preach. So God, I pray that whatever comes out of my mouth from here on out will glorify you. Because the best and truest thing that will come out of my mouth is what just came out of my mouth. Your word. So God, I pray that you would use me as you see fit. Help us. Help us, Lord, to live according to what your word tells us. Help us to apply this to our lives. We ask this in your son's precious name. We pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, I I I'm hoping I don't come across <laughs> mean-spirited this morning. But when I get to preach on preaching or when I get to preach on the, the, the doctrine of the Bible, I get a little aggravated. Not because of what I get to preach. I love this. Because this is what we as a church should be doing. I get a little bit, I get a little bit aggravated because the church, the American church, let's just say the American church, the American church is missing it. The American church, as we look across our nation, is, is, is entertainment driven. It's, we try to do church in a way to where we can keep your attention. Fog machines, laser lights, drama teams. But church, understand that there is nothing more important in the worship service. There's nothing more important in the church than the proclamation of the word of God. There is nothing, nothing that we should be doing contrary to that. And I feel like, I feel like the church today is missing the mark. But I also am encouraged because I feel like there's a resurgence going on. Where churches are coming back to that. 
The main idea that I have for you this morning is this. Because the Word of God is authoritative, we live our lives by it. What we're looking at this morning is that the Word of God is our sole authority. Now that doesn't mean that that there's no other types of authority in the church. We have pastoral authority, we have elder authority, we we have even governing authorities, you know, Romans 13. But when it comes to Scripture, there is nothing that equates with the authority of the Word of God. And because the Word of God is authoritative, we live our lives by it. We, we, we hold fast to it. And that's my first point I want to get across to you this morning. Number one, we hold fast to the authoritative Word. What is, what is Paul telling Timothy? Understand, Timothy, Timothy is in Ephesus, and this is a, this is a hard territory. It's an idolatrous area. And so Timothy, Paul is telling him, even even at the beginning of verse 3, like just look at verse 1, but understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. Now understand, when Paul's saying in the last days, he doesn't mean right before Christ returns. He means now. What are the last days? The days after Christ ascended. We are in the last days. And Timothy was in the last days. Paul's telling Timothy, there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, Swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. In the last days, there you will have times of difficulty because people are going to be like that. My favorite one in there is disobedient to their parents because that one sticks out like a sore thumb. It's like, wow, abusive, treacherous, swollen with conceit, unholy, heartless, abusive to their parents or disobedient to their parents. Not if you're abusive to your parents, we need to have a conversation, but disobedient to their parents like that's that's just as bad. Right, kids looking at you guys. I hope my kids are listening on Facebook Live. And so Paul is telling Timothy that there are these people and avoid these people. And then there are going to be false teachers, men who are corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith who are going to sneak in. And he tells Timothy in verse 10, you, however, you, however, you do not act like those people. You instead imitate me, act like me. Look at what I'm doing. You have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Follow me. Do what I'm doing. And then he says again in verse 14, but as for you. Why? Because verse 13 says, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You are not like that. As for you, continue, 
continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul reminds Timothy of 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 the mother and the grandmother that raised him up and trained him in that. Of the teachings that, 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 that he has learned from Paul himself. He, he's reminding Timothy of these things that you've learned from the sacred writings, from Scripture. What are you to do with it? Continue in it. But you see, the, the Greek for continue doesn't mean just to continue doing it. The Greek for continue, it's, it's abide. Remain in it and continue doing it. Hold fast to it. So Paul is telling Timothy, hold fast to the authoritative word. Why? Because there are evil people who are going to try to teach you differently. There are evil people that are going to creep into the church and try to sway your church to do other things. Hold fast to the authoritative word. Martin Luther knew the importance of this because the Roman Catholic Church was not doing it. Because they saw not only, now they did elevate the word as God's word, but they were elevating other things in that same category. That was their problem. We live in a postmodern age where now we have lowered the standard of the word of God. And we've elevated everything else. Truth of man. Postmodernism teaches that truth is relative. There is no absolute truth. I was taught that in my undergrad school. I left angry. In fact, I don't remember a day I didn't leave angry from that school. I only went and got my degree there because I had a full ride. My dad was very thankful for that. But I was taught truth was relative. There is no absolute truth. I raised my hand. Is that absolutely true? Okay, I see what you did there. Understand, church, that we are called to hold fast to the Word of God as our final authority. The Word of God is our final authority. There is no other authority that would surpass that. There's there's nothing that trumps the Word of God. There's nothing that stands over the Word of God in greater authority. The Word of God is our final authority. Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Church, we live in a culture today who keeps trying to teach us and try to tell us that's not what your word means. I love it. I'm turning, I think I'm turning into a keyboard warrior the older I get, the more I want to say on, on Facebook. But I love it when people come out who have never read the Bible, who don't come to church, who don't sit under teaching of the word of God and they'll quote scripture and say, see, that's not what your Bible says. 
I've seen, I've seen people post about this, you know, uh, when we look at uh, sexuality and gender, when we look at the problems that we're dealing with there, they keep saying like, well, Paul was a man and he wrote most of the New Testament, but he was fallible. Maybe Paul got it wrong. Maybe Paul was wrong when he was speaking against same-sex marriage. Maybe, maybe Paul just had it wrong at that time. Scripture is our final authority. No matter what anybody says. No matter what the president says. No matter what your teacher or your professors say. And for you teenagers in the room, if you, if or when you go to college, this is what they are teaching. I went to two different undergrad schools and was taught the same thing. Hold fast to the word as our final authority because other people are going to try to trump it. Why is it that the word of God is our final authority? Because... We are to hold fast to the word as our inerrant authority. It's our final authority because it is inerrant. Why is it inerrant? Look at verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God. Theonoustos. Breathed out. What does that mean? All of scripture is inspired and inerrant and infallible because it is the word of God. But it was written by man. But these men, the Holy Spirit spoke through them. It was written by God. We are to hold fast to the word as our inerrant authority. Oh, in church, let me tell you, we have been in a war for the word for about a since 1517. <laughs> it hasn't stopped and it won't stop until Christ returns. And you look, I mean, look on the news. Look outside your, look outside your front door. Look in, look in your schools. Look and see how people are living. Why? Because they don't see this as inerrant. As absolutely true. All scripture is breathed out by God. If God said it, it's true. If it's not true, then it's God is not God. And if we say that one passage can't be true, then we have to seriously throw the rest of it out. If this book isn't true, nothing matters. But if this book is true, nothing else matters. All scripture is breathed out by God. We are to hold fast to the word as our inerrant authority. We are to hold fast to the word as our sufficient authority. Verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. 
It is sufficient, church. It is sufficient. Can we stop with the programs? Can we stop with church growth strategies? Can we stop with the fog machines and the laser lights? Can we stop with the ridiculous nonsense that's going on in the church today and get back to the preaching of the Word of God? Romans 10 tells us, how can they hear if no one preaches to them? We're, we're, the American church is too caught up with this idea of wanting to build their kingdom. Let's have a big church, multi-million dollar facilities. Let's, let, let's get people in. How can we get people in? Let's have a popsicle truck out, outside every service. Let's have, let's have the Easter bunny attend. Let's do this ridiculous nonsense, but let's neglect the one thing that actually changes people, the preaching of the word of God. It's profitable for teaching. Why? Because it is absolutely true. It is absolutely true. Every word in this book. This is why we love expository preaching here. We want to expose the scripture to you. We want to show you what the word means in every verse. We don't want to skip over passages. We want to show you because every verse matters. Every word, every verse, every chapter bleeds the name of Jesus. Because when Paul is talking here in verse 16, all scripture, when he says scripture, forget all for one second. Scripture, what is he meaning at this time? Old Testament. Man, let me tell you, I love the Old Testament. I love preaching from the Old Testament. I love teaching from the Old Testament. I love trying to show you how Christ is pointed to in the Old Testament. But why is that important? Jesus preached from the Old Testament. Paul preached from the Old Testament. But then Paul in verse 16 tacks off that word all, pasa. Pas, pasa, pan, whichever one it is. I don't even know. But the word all. So what is he saying when he tacks on the word all? He means all scripture we have now and all scripture that we're going to have in the future. This entire canon that we have, the Old and the New Testament, is breathed out by God. Paul, is is great. When he says all scripture is breathed out by God, even what he's saying is breathed out by God. It's sufficient It's profitable for teaching. It's profitable for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. I have got to pick it up. I'm running out of time. But verse 17, that the men of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Men, understand this church. This is not just referring to men. It's referring to all people. But let me say something, men. How do you expect to love your wife, to love your kids, to work in the culture that you work in? How do you expect to serve in the church? How do you expect to to live a holy life if you're not in the word of God? We treat scripture like we we treat that end user agreement when we get when we update the software, we get the new phone. Just scroll right through it and just hit agree. 
That's how we treat Scripture sometimes. But we are called to be in the Word. So, number two. Number two. It's, it's, it's a two-point message, but it's got eight points with it. Number two. We are called to boldly preach the authoritative word. I love preaching. Last two Sundays I didn't get to preach. I was itching. It was bad. I seriously was tempted to just call Leto last Sunday morning and be like, man, I got you. You, you relax. I'll preach. Paul says in verse, in a verse 1 of chapter 4, I charge you. He's talking to Timothy. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Preach the word. Not philosophical nonsense, even though philosophy can be used in preaching. But too often we try to just preach our, our theories, our ideas, our opinions. We get on these hobby horses. Sometimes my hobby horse is preaching. But we do see that we are called to preach the word. So what are we supposed to do? First, we are to preach the word with faithfulness. Preach the word when? Be ready in season and out of season. When do we preach the word? All the time. I'm praying for a third great awakening in our country. And any time throughout history we see a big revival or we see a great awakening, any time we see the church growing and thriving and flourishing, it is all because God raised up a group of men to preach the word faithfully. When I went to Haiti, we went and visited the church in uh, Canaan, uh, the church that we're partnered with with the school. And a Pastor Amos comes up. It's, it's actually Sunday morning. No, I'm sorry. It wasn't Sunday morning. I think it was Saturday morning. Maybe Friday morning. It was hot. I forgot. But we were there. And they were having a worship service. Now, there's nothing to do in Canaan. It's just rubble. So what do they do every day? They have a worship service every day. So we showed up to visit. And we were coming into the worship service. And they came up to us and they said, you preach. What? I need like eight hours, bro. I got I to gotta sit down. I got to pull out some commentaries. I got to figure out the text. I got to, you know, homiletical, hermeneutic. Like, help me out, man. No, you, you preach. Okay. So I got up there and I preached. And I actually was able to tackle the text that I was going to be tackling that next Sunday. Um, thankful for expositional preaching when you know what's coming next, right? But I had nothing prepared. It wasn't, it wasn't anything fancy. I'm no Spurgeon. But we need to be ready in season and out of season. When we're called to preach, we need to be ready to preach. I know there's men in this church who feel called to preach and teach. So let me tell you, be ready because there's going to come a Sunday when I'm sick on the toilet and I'm going to be calling you. And I'm going to be like, man, I need you to fill in for me. I've already done that to Leto once. But we need to be ready. But honestly, though, hear me say this, not just for Sunday morning worship services. Church, we, we as believers need to be ready to give an answer for the hope that we believe in. We live in a culture where we, hear me say this, I used to think that it wasn't going to be in my lifetime that I would see 
that we would lose our freedom of religion. But I, my mindset's starting to change a little bit. There's going to come a day where you are not going to be able to share the gospel freely. There's going to come a day where you are not going to be able to stand on the teaching that you have been raised with without being persecuted in some way. But Paul tells Timothy in verse 10 of chapter 3, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me. He says in verse 12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Church, we are called to be faithful. There may come a day when chains have to go on the front doors. I know a lot of people with some bolt cutters. There may come a day when we have authorities walking through our sanctuary because they're going to arrest one of us for preaching the word of God. May we be like Paul, singing praises to God as we are shackled and imprisoned for the preaching of the gospel. May we be bold. Because there is coming a day, church, when we may not have the freedom we have today. But we are called to be faithful. Which brings me to my next point. Preach the word with conviction. We preach it with conviction. Paul says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Church, we live in a church shopping culture. I don't like what that guy said this past Sunday. I think next Sunday I'm going to go to the other church that preaches what I do like to hear. They affirm what I affirm. Sometimes that's a good thing, sometimes it's not. Understand, church, that even affirming sin is sin. Romans 1 tells us that. Approving of sin is sin. We are called to preach the word with conviction. Hold fast to the truth of it. To be bold with it. Preach it wholeheartedly and preach the whole counsel of God. And that's what we aim to do here at Red Cross. And that's what I pray churches across our nation will aim to do. To preach with conviction. Thirdly, we are to preach the word with hope. We're to preach it with hope. Paul tells us that Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and and exhort. With conviction, we preach to correct. Church, one of the problems with the church today is sin has has crept in. And if we allow sin to creep in, we lose the reverence. We lose the importance of church. We are to preach with conviction to correct Reprove, but in a godly manner, in a gracious manner. He tells us with complete patience, with grace. And then he tells us preach with hope. We exhort. What are we exhorting? 
The gospel. What does this world need? The gospel. What does our country need? The gospel. What's going to start another great awakening? The preaching of the gospel. And then lastly, we are to preach the word with doctrine. Preach the word with doctrine. Church, we are called to not scratch your itch when it comes to what you want to hear. We are called to preach the whole counsel of God. To preach the truth. We are called to preach doctrine. To teach you, train you in what you believe or should believe. Because church, how are we to live our lives? How are we to live under the authoritative word of God if we don't know what it means? This is why we do expositional preaching. This is why we do verse by verse, chapter by chapter, going through books of the Bible, taking our time preaching. It took John MacArthur 43 years, I believe, to preach through the entire New Testament. Let's do that. I'm serious. Let's preach the whole counsel of God and let's look at what the Bible teaches us and how we should live. Because church, we live in a world today that tries to tell us otherwise. Let me close with this. In the spring of 1521, it's about four years after Martin Luther... Um, nailed the 95 Theses to the door of Castle Church in Wittenberg. Martin had been on the run a little bit. People had wanted him dead, imprisoned. The church was coming after him. What Luther did sparked a huge thing. I mean, look at it now. But in 1521, what happened was the Diet of Worms. Martin Luther was brought before these people. Uh, It was uh, Charles V, the emperor of the Holy Roman Empire, who convened this. Basically what they did when they brought Martin Luther, again, four years after he started the Protestant Reformation. they, They laid out everything that he wrote and said and taught on a table. And they looked at him and they said, do you recant? What you have said and written. Do you take it back or do you reaffirm? This is what Luther says. This is his response. This this took a couple days. This was his response. Unless I am convinced by the testimony of the scriptures. Or by clear reason. For I do not trust either in the Pope or in councils alone. Since it is well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves, I am bound by the scriptures I have quoted. And my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot. Now listen, Luther, knowing what he's about to do, is putting his life on the line. I cannot and I will not recant anything. Since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience, I cannot do otherwise. Here I stand. May God help me. Amen.
Church, may we be as bold as Luther when it comes to the Word of God. May we hold fast to the teaching of it. May we hold fast to the convictions that are, that are in the Word for believers. No matter what other people will think, no matter what other people will do, no matter what your family will say or do, we are called to hold fast. We are to be held captive to the Word of God. Church, I pray you are. I pray we are. I pray that we make sure that sola scriptura is what we cling to. Scripture alone. That's where our authority lies. Let's pray. Father God, you are so good. We are thankful for your word. God, we pray that you would help us to hold fast to what your word teaches us. We pray that you would help us to be held captive to your word. Help us to be bold in the proclamation of your word. Help us to be a people of the word. God, I pray that you would give us a, a desire to be in it, to live under it and by it. God, I pray that you would help us as we face a world that is hostile. Not only towards us, but also to you and to your word. Help us as we seek to be faithful, convicted. Help us as we seek to boldly proclaim the hope that you have. Help us to be ready in season and out of season. God, we're so thankful for the grace and the mercy that you've given us. We're so thankful for your Son who is the Word proclaimed. The greatest gospel ever proclaimed was hung on the cross. So God, I pray that you would help us as we make the gospel our anthem, our banner, as we cling to your Word. We ask all this in your Son's precious name we pray. Amen.